You're listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. Hi, welcome to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. And this week I'm joined by Neil Stobart and Lee Bigenden. Neil, you're from Cloudian. Lee, you're from Nefos Technologies. Let's start with Neil. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and tell them what you do for Cloudian? Hi, thanks, Chris. So, uh, Neil Stobart from Cloudian. I'm you know, VP of Technical Services. So, basically, any interaction around you know the technology that we produce, you know, with customers or partners, you know, I kind of manage that team globally. So, I look after both pre-sales side, post-sales side, and kind of end-user and partner training as well. And Cloudian does exactly what? So, Cloudian, a bit, you know, the software developer that have written an object storage platform. That's designed, you know, to be software defined, uh, work across any hardware, basically turn standard x86 server technology into, you know, an extreme scale out storage platform to address, you know, issues of massive data storage requirements, you know, at a good cost, you know, footprint. So really this technology is, um, you know, being driven forward by the adoption of the cloud, you know, public cloud providers, the big public cloud providers like the likes of AWS, Microsoft and um, Google, you know, they've really pushed forward this technology because they want to deliver, you know, scalable and, you know, cost economic at scale type platform that's appealing to their customers. So now more and more customers have enough data that it makes sense to adopt those type of technologies in their own data center on premise, you know, managed by themselves. So there's been a real, you know, move, you know, for that kind of storage as opposed to your sort of traditional types of storage, you know, your file and your block based storage arrays that ultimately have a limit on scalability. So it's really one of one of scalability and cost. They're the kind of storage issues that we're trying to address. Okay, wonderful. So Lee, you work for and I guess you are you are part of Nefos Technologies. Why don't you just give people a bit of background to what you do? Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Chris. So I'm one of the co-founders of Nefos Technologies, and we're an independent UK-based integrator helping customers to utilize public, private, hybrid cloud infrastructure to better store, protect, and manage their data. So a lot of our time spent understanding our customers' data, what they're doing with it, what they're trying to do with it, and then identifying the right strategy to store and protect and process that infrastructure later on. And you work with Cloudian as one of your technology providers? Yeah, Cloudian are a key partner for us in the object storage space. So we do a lot of work with these guys around delivering unstructured data storage at scale for some quite demanding environments. So yeah, key partner for us. Wonderful. We'll come back and discuss some of that detail in a moment. But first of all, Neil, I just want to go back to you. What sort of challenges are people seeing with their data management in the market today? What are you seeing that customers are looking to try and solve? And what problems have they got that are arising because of the volume of data that people are storing? I think from a business perspective, you know, organizations need to understand, you know, what data they have and, and how they get value out of it. Otherwise, what's the point in collecting it and, and keeping it? And alongside that, you know, just the exponential growth and that seems to be becoming a, a cliche in the storage industry, but you know it truly is an exponential growth in data sets. You know causes a, you know a brand new problem. 
So, you know, I've been talking about object storage for, you know, a good 12, 15 years. And really, it's only now that it's becoming relevant to the market because of, you know, how much data people actually have and how it's been generated and what they're going to do with it. So with all these new challenges, you know, at scale that we're talking about, it does become very expensive to utilize traditional storage platforms or, you know, if I use tape storage as an example, that, that's been around for a long time, was always the storage medium of choice for large data sets for long-term archival, but it's just very inflexible, very unwieldy, and doesn't provide the platform that organizations need to do what they need to do with data now. So even on a cost, you know, comparison between object storage and tape, you know, on the face of it, tape looks still cheaper because it's cheaper to buy, but it's a much more difficult technology to manage Whereas object storage, you know, automates a lot of what a, an organization might need to do. So it takes out a lot of that pain. So, you know, driving down the cost, providing scalability is kind of key. And these are the challenges that the people are having. So with that being said, in terms of then, you know, looking at how you use your data better, this is where a lot of the sort of the machine learning and AI type technologies that, you know, seem to be the buzzwords at the moment in the industry, but this is where it's really having a big impact in how it's helping people understand what they've got and how they can use that data to improve, you know, how they deliver their product development, their service delivery, even going to kind of more boring examples of, you know, analyzing log files in your data center to, you know, deliver a better IT service. Okay, so... Yeah. Just picking up on a couple of things you mentioned there, and I'm going to come in and get you to answer this one, Lee. A couple of things you pointed out there I think are really relevant, Neil. First of all, that if you use something like tape, it might be scalable, but it's certainly not practical from a usage purpose, and that's because people want to do something active with their data now compared to what they did when they were simply archiving on tape. Second of all, we have much more access to things like cloud services, and clearly people could use those as the compute base, but then you know, you've got that issue of trying to work out how you bring the two. So, Lee... Are customers really interested in using cloud? And do they see that as being both a benefit and a challenge, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from our perspective, we see it every day. I mean, what's quite interesting, though, is the split. And we kind of have a bit of a different viewpoint on this. So the split between what would be traditional block services that Neil described. So, you know, your virtualized infrastructure really lends itself to a public cloud environment. And for a lot of customers, they're identifying those application workloads and they're looking to move them to SaaS services or PaaS services, IaaS as kind of a last resort for most. And that's kind of, that's been pretty consistent. The biggest problem, the biggest challenge is what they do with the unstructured data, the file data. So whether that's archive, whether that's long-term backups, whether it's media content, ultimately that file data is at such a volume that moving it around can be quite a challenge. So from a public cloud perspective, getting the blend of that hybrid model is kind of really where most people seem to be traveling to try and get the balance of performance and cost and scale. But it's not without its challenges, right? Not everyone can move their services into public cloud. That's one of the reasons why we work with the guys at Cloudium, because it enables us to get that same scale, but using the same, effectively the same S3-driven infrastructure on-premise as well. So we absolutely see cloud as a as a direction of travel for people, but actually 
you are able to deliver the same thing on premise. So a lot of what we do is trying to decipher that for customers and work out what the best route is, actually. So it tends to be a bit more of a simplistic problem. Imagine Cloudian are delivering to me scale-out platform. It sounds great. I can put that, I guess, on commodity, commodity hardware, scale it out. What exactly are customers doing? And let's start getting into some real examples here because i think we all know that there is generic ways to do this and that we could put some in the cloud we could move the data back and forth we could expose data into cloud services but in reality let's start digging down and actually talking about what customers are actually doing with some real world examples who wants to kick off and give me an actual example of something that they're doing with customers at the moment you know so we do have a customer that runs um you know a big uh, hyperstore cluster object storage cluster in their data centers they are storing dna samples essentially so big data sets you know just as in terms of got to be careful when i use the words big data but you know just large amounts of data that data set is growing at about two to three petabytes a year and essentially they want to screen that data analyze that data and and then you know output you know the findings you know, kind of get reports. So they actually utilize public cloud for the analysis of, you know, that the DNA sample. So, you know, rather than host those services on site, you know, it's quite a specialized service and it needs a lot of processing power. I think, you know, each DNA run uses 200 CPU cores, you know, over several days. So to, Deliver that kind of infrastructure in your own data center, it's, you know, it's a significant undertaking. So, you know, as depending on how many DNA samples are coming in, you know, they can spin up, you know, the amount of cores that they need in the public cloud. So why would they not put the data out into the public cloud next to, you know, the compute? Well, it's one of cost, ultimately. Their platform, they want to ingest into their data center. They want to own the data. They want to control the data. If they then copied it out completely into public cloud, every time they accessed, you know, read or, you know, changed any of that data, not only are they paying the sort of the standard storage cost, but they're also paying, you know, transaction request cost as well. So what they're doing is they're taking the reference archive data, copying it out into the compute platform, which essentially runs, you know, sort of faster storage. It's not the archive storage. The data is processed, and then the original data is deleted rather than copied back or moved, and it's only the new sort of analysis that's actually new data that needs to be kept because we've already got a copy of the reference data in the data center. So a delete doesn't cost anything, whereas you know if you copied or wrote data out there, you know that would be charging you. So having everything out as a single source in the data center saves you, you know, a lot of money than you know, putting it all out in the public. And that's the been the primary driver. So it's kind of leveraging the public cloud for the scalable compute piece. But that, you know, massive data set makes much more sense to house in on-prem. But the beauty of it is, you know, the object storage looks like it's a cloud platform anyway. It's the same technology. So they're just pointing, you know, the public cloud compute to the on-prem kind of cloud storage, if you like. So doing it reverse to how you might typically think of um, how you would do things. Right. And actually, I think I can see a few other benefits of that. So let's just pick, look at the detail of the compute you just mentioned there. So for example, the compute that they're using potentially 
is going to be variable over time. So as the cloud provider, say, complements it with GPUs or puts in faster processes or reduces their costs, you immediately get the benefit for that for the next time you do your run and you spin up your 200 compute cores. It's not like you've bought that and you have to keep upgrading that hardware if it's on-prem. You get the benefit of it immediately, whereas if you'd built it on-site, you might have to spend you know three, five years' worth of amortization before you can afford to justify replacing that hardware. It's a benefit, I guess, in terms of operationally, you can put it in the cloud and you save the cost of actually spinning it up. But as that technology changes over time, you get benefits straight away. So it's actually a multi-benefit, sort of multi if you like. Yeah, and it's you know, and if you don't need it, you don't have to pay for it. You know, which is one of the great advantages of I think public cloud compute. You know, and if you you know need a big run and you need more cores, you can get that. And it's yeah, I mean, running hardware, I think especially on the compute side because it changes, technology changes so quickly. CPU, you know, power is still increasing at an incredible rate. You know, the cost of RAM is you know coming down. People, you know, you know, obviously, not all applications are developed to take advantage of that. So there's so many changes happen so quickly. I think on the compute application side that. It does make a lot of sense. What we see on the storage side, you know, it's public cloud storage is well priced. But when you get to, you know, large data sets, you know, let's say half a petabyte and above, you know, it just doesn't make economic sense to put it into the public cloud, you know, because on-prem solutions will be, you know, more cost effective just from a pure storage point of view. And then there's no additional charge for accessing that data. So you've got to look at what that data is. You know, am I going to be able, do I want to access it? What are the costs? And sometimes you just don't know, you know, how to predict those costs. You know, I know, I know somebody who looked at their data and realized that 80% of it had been accessed over six months. They thought it was going to be nearer 20%. And this is in a, you know, tens of the petabytes region. And the just the retrieval costs from public cloud would have been prohibitive for, you know, that, you know, for running that kind of, um, you know, architecture. Yeah. And I guess the other angle of the example you've just given, I think, which is really fascinating, is the fact that the customer was able to pull their data into the cloud, do what they needed to do with it, and then delete it. And the fact that they didn't have to retain any cost, A, for keeping it there long term, and B, for actually being charged for egress charges for moving the data back, because effectively it's like a read-only process to process it. And all they're taking back is, I guess, the results of that processing rather than the actual data. So ultimately... That's a really clever example of using compute and storage together. That's really quite clever, and that shows you where if it was hybrid, you get the benefit, but if it was either one or the other, there'd be a compromise because if you pushed all of the data into the cloud and ran it all there, it would be more expensive. If you built your own compute, it would be more expensive. So it's the hybrid that actually makes that model work quite well. Yeah, and I think especially with AI, this is you know new technology that not you know, every IT organization is going to understand. And if you look at, you know, I mean, I saw an advert on TV last night for Microsoft AI, you know, I know AWS and Google are both pushing it. They've, you know, built some pretty sophisticated platforms out there. They kind of know what they're doing. This is building upon, you know, their expertise of what they've been doing for years with search engines and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, their services are pretty sophisticated. So for, um, you know, an IT shop to, go and build their own when actually that service is fully fledged and running and then to be able to operate on their data. So to build a model like this, I think will make a lot of sense um, until this kind of technology matures and, you know, as it will, and it'll become easier to use and understand and start to move into the data center. But in the meantime, it's 
There's one way that, you know, organizations can take advantage of this new type of technology to get better insights into their data without, you know, having to deploy, you know, what could potentially be quite a risky project. Yeah. So Lee, coming to you and trying to see what projects you've been working on and developing with clients, are you seeing a similar thing? Have you got some examples of where you've worked with customers to do this sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're helping, um, there's a, a large advertising group we're helping at the moment, and their strategy is all around data center exit, actually, where possible. But the challenge that they've run into is kind of being able to provide localized performance, but at the same time, get the benefit of scale of an object storage platform. So similarly, but inversely, you know, what we're doing there is delivering localized on-premise performance disconnected from the large-scale capacity object store in cloud, which is actually going to Azure for them. Now, that's one use case. The flip side of that, we also do a lot of work in the engineering space. So people like WSP, for example, um, who are one of our customers, they have a large, large amount of CAD infrastructure. It's just not suited to deliver that in public cloud infrastructure. The performance, the scale, the number of sites, all of these things are just not very conducive to good performance for users. But what they didn't want to do was miss out on the ability to collapse down their infrastructure and get to that same sort of price point because they were seeing other industries make use of things like um, you know, AWS S3 or Azure Blob or whatever it is. So for them, it was a slightly different use case. And what we did actually working with Cloudian in that particular customer was to look at the data estate in its entirety and use the object store on-premise as a platform for multiple use cases. So for them, what we're able to do was consolidate a lot of the current, I guess, technology debt that they had. So backup, for example, now points into the object store. Archive data points into the object store. Primary file data and CAD data points into the object store. But what we're able to do is split that performance layer out so that the users still get that local touch feel performance that they need from file data, but with the scale and capacity that you get from an object storage tier. Again, it's that kind of hybrid model. It's making sure we put the right data in the right places with the right performance profile. And that's one of the key things to all of this is kind of making sure that you do that research in the front end to make sure that you get the right answer. Right. So just touching on some of the detail there, are you saying that you were front-ending the local environment with Cloudian and it was being tiered or archived into public cloud? Was that the sort of the model? So for them, for that particular customer, it was more about that because the data profile isn't really suited to public cloud, what we've leveraged is Cloudian's object storage on-premise. So effectively, we've built their own version of Amazon S3 in their own data centers. And then what we've been able to do is, because object storage typically doesn't have a file system over the top, but obviously users require a file system. They need something, you know, their C colon slash slash, whatever their path is. So what we've been able to do is leverage a front-end gateway in effect to provide performance for users connected into the object store. So all of their data is protected in that object here, but users maintain the performance levels that they need, that they're used to, with a file system that they're used to. So it's trying to minimize that impact on users, but getting the same scale and capacity in the back end. So how does that fit in with the idea of the hybrid model, Lee? So ultimately, it's that model of splitting out the compute, which is typically really bursty. So that requires performance. And that's, as Neil was saying in that genomics example, you know, those workloads are well suited to bursting out into a hybrid environment. 
But that's not necessarily where you want to keep large volumes of data all the time. And it's the same sort of model, but what we're able to do is kind of extend that performance tier into public cloud where we need it, if we need it there, if we maybe need to burst workloads out without impacting on the performance of the object store or the cost profile of the object store. It's not also only about cost. Sometimes we've had one customer where they've gone hybrid in a slightly different way. So what they've done is in regions where they're a financial services firm, so in regions where their regulation states that data needs to stay in that region, Germany, for example, being a prime one, well, actually, for those environments, they've deployed on-premise objects. In other areas where there's more flexibility there, They've leveraged public cloud services, but what we've done is enable them to maintain a consistent front end for the users. So again, splitting that performance and capacity tier, so your, I guess your traditional block and your object tier gives us flexibility over that. Okay, I can see a number of um, clear sort of messages or clear um, strategies coming out here. First of all, there's one about using the right platform in the right place. So Neil talked about that in terms of making sure you can use compute effectively and cheaply. But secondly, Lee, you seem to be indicating that it's also about you putting the right data in the right place for the right level of performance you want. And some of that could be on-prem, some of that could be in the cloud. And a lot of the time it might be cheaper and more practical to keep it on-premises in a solution like Cloudian and then only use the cloud when you need it to to ameliorate that capacity, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. And we, um, the media sector has been quite early adopting of that sort of approach, particularly for things like video render farms and those sorts of things. Because what's quite clear is that the retention period on those data sets is quite large, right? So if you're Technicolor, for example, and you produce The Lion King, now what you'll find is that each different provider that you need to distribute that end product to might have a different requirement. So Netflix's video codecs are different to Amazon Prime's, for example. So in that sort of environment, you need to keep the master somewhere long-term that you can retain and then be able to distribute that content quite flexibly. But also, you may find that you produce an initial output, but you don't need to go back to it for six months. Maybe in six months' times, you might need to go back to it to recolor grade it or subtitle or whatever it might be. In that sort of industry, there's a lot of bursty content. It's very unpredictable when you need the performance. But what isn't unpredictable is where you need the scale and the capacity. So in that sense, what a lot of these organizations are doing is then saying, you know what, we'll size the object here accordingly. We know it's going to be large-scale, multi-petabyte. You know what? It makes sense economically where we have infrastructure to leave that on premise. But what we don't want to do is overinvest in the really expensive, high performance, scale out file system stuff ahead of time when actually for 50% of its life, it's not going to get touched. It's not going to get used. It doesn't make sense to do that. So let's scale out or put a platform in place that enables us to burst into public cloud in a hybrid way when we need it. So we're not over-investing, we're not over-committing, but we still get a platform that gives us the flexibility and choice moving forward. And I think that's key. Yeah, and that's a really quite a subtle point, but I think really uh, very interesting and very important, is highlighting the fact that if you are in um, the business where you do need to have your data sitting on some sort of high-performance file system, if you're only ever touching it, 20% of the time, it's a massive cost overhead to leave it there all the time. But the issue is 
than I guess the challenge is, and this will come on to challenges next, but the challenge there is how do you make sure that you're not moving data around all the time to make that work properly? Because you could spend as much time moving the data and that would be defeating the benefit of trying to reduce the costs there, I guess. Would we agree with that? <laughs> don't have to agree if you don't want to. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it comes back to that. You need to understand what your data looks like. You need to understand the profile. You need to understand the usage to make the right decision there. But it is very much horses for courses as well. I mean, you look at different industry sectors, financial services, for example. We tend to find that it's a lot easier to define a consistent data usage pattern, generally speaking, whereas we see something like media, very unpredictable. It's unpredictable because typically, I guess it's an organizational problem, but in our experience, there tends to be a lot of disconnect between what the business is committing to to what IT have to provide, but that's a different Probably a conversation for a different yeah, day. I think um, that's probably been IT for the last 50 years, isn't it, really? Yeah. So we run into that issue, which makes life a bit unpredictable. You also find a lot of things like M&A work going on in those industries. So, you know, people that are looking to acquire a new organization and then rapidly ingest large quantities of data and protect it in a consistent way. So we've absolutely seen some industries much more susceptible or, or appropriate for that kind of split infrastructure, if you like. Okay. All right, Neil, coming back to you, it sounds like there are lots of benefits that can be obtained here, but what are the challenges that customers have had to deal with because it's hybrid? To me, for example, one of the most obvious ones might be security in the sense that you've got multiple security models that you have to maintain and protecting against those could be quite tricky. But what are customers having to deal with as problems about trying to use a hybrid approach? Well, I think certainly security is at you know the right at the front of everybody's mind at the moment, and that is you know one reason why some people are being driven to delivering an on-prem platform rather than putting data out into the cloud, especially with GDPR. You know the all the big public cloud providers are you know have been scrabbling to get their statements out around GDPR and you know how they can help and. All of that kind of stuff, but ultimately they are they are American-owned organizations. All the big three, you know, Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. And without going into that whole conversation about you know Patriot Acts and you know Safe Harbor, you know these things that essentially you know mean that American firms aren't can't be compliant with GDPR unless you know the the U.S. government do something different. So you know, certainly I saw a big rise up over the last few years from the European-based service providers, and they seem to gain a lot more traction. So so some, I think there's some data sets. I mean, it goes back to what Lee said, and this is uh, probably the biggest challenge that we have as an organization, as you know, my team, is making sure that we look at an organization's different workloads, different applications, look at the different requirements from technology and a business standpoint, and security being one of them, cost being one of them, you know, is how... Make sure that we try and address those workloads that are appropriate to object storage. Because, you know, looking at running a, you know, a virtual machine, server farm, you know, that needs to be on a block or file storage platform that optimizes IOPS, not throughput. You know, we're very much around, we can move a lot of data very quickly. So we're not in that space. So we, we're trying to avoid anything like that. It's, you know, we're looking for large data sets, you know, bandwidth focused rather than IOPS focused you know, probably more static data than changing data. So identifying that workload is really critical. Now, it's the same as when an organization is looking at, do I put stuff on-prem or in public? They've really got to look at it from a very specific workload. And, you know, security 
for certain data sets means that really you can't take it out of your data center um you know that you, if you don't have it from behind your firewall so that's a big big concern and that in a way helps us it's a good story you know for us to take the customers but you know the other challenge is there's the lure of some of the technology that the public cloud vendors you know you know some of the solutions that they're offering are you know really really cool and really add business value and how can you use that at the right cost so to get the right service levels at the right cost and that's the big challenge i think for most people so we've been doing i mean built into our technology we've been doing tiering to public cloud since you know since certainly since i've been with the company was one of the sort of the main foundations of our technology is how do we integrate with public cloud you know seamlessly which is you know really the nirvana of the hybrid approach and yeah we could do that you know so we would ingest an object a data file into our on-prem platform and then based on you know policies um, we can then move it out to aws or google or you know microsoft or even actually now tape libraries or other object storage you know it's it, you know where you can move it to is pretty limitless really but we will maintain a copy of the metadata um, to say we're the sort of single source of this data, um, no matter where we've put it, you know, if it's on-prem or if it's in public, we can put it out for you. And then on the security side, it's very much about, you know, making sure that that's, you know, secure, it's encrypted when we're transmitting in between on-prem and off-prem. And of course, we've got all of that built in. We're currently just in the process of certifying on FIPS 140-2, you know, which is very big in the US around uh, what encryption, crypto library libraries you use so we're kind of you know providing a tunnel if you like on the back end i think that's for me is the big challenge what stays what goes and why and you've got to focus that on you know at a workload level which is a difficult process and that's why people bring you know organizations like nefos into the conversation because it's a big challenge it's almost like going back to when we you know vms first came out you know you had to be very careful about what you put on vms and what you didn't it's kind of moved on a little bit now but there's still workloads that has to be on physical dedicated physical platforms but at the time you had to go through every single workload every single application work out you know what was going to move what wasn't going to move how are you going to do that and i think that applies today now with the added complication of you know public cloud and all the different services that they can go with it yeah so going back to you lee and just as we sort of come to the end of our time that's really quite an interesting challenge, really, for people. It's, I guess, fairly easy to determine where you might run compute because those services are fairly easy to understand. But if you don't put the data framework in place, you could be creating a problem. So what have you learned you know, from the projects you've done with customers so far that could be useful for people going forward? Well, I think there's a few things. I mean, one of the first things that I would say is we do run into a lot of situations where there is a directive to move to cloud, quote, unquote, and... One of the biggest things is an open mind about how this infrastructure will work moving forward. So we find things like high availability, for example. If you look at traditional storage arrays, their ability to provide HA, for example, is very different in a cloud world. If you look at cloud storage gateways, none of them provide that HA capability. If you look at the way object storage protects your data, it's not the same. There's no RAID. There's no replication. There's no duplication of data. It's actually one of the biggest benefits. It makes your data a lot more durable and less complicated to manage. It's like one of the key benefits. But it's that understanding and appreciation of a different approach can be a challenge sometimes. Yeah, so I guess there's a certain degree of that as expectation of what a customer might think a cloud looks like compared to on-prem looks like. Yeah, and we still see it all the time. Even the simple things, not even storage, but you look at things like Office 365 and you speak to people and say, so, so what are you doing about protecting your data? 
well, it's an Office 365, isn't it? Well, that's not really the answer. You're still, it's not the same as the security point. You're still responsible for your own data, whether you put it in public cloud or not. That paradigm doesn't really change, but you need to upskill and open up to different tool sets that might enable you to get to the same goal. And I think that's a big challenge. More and more we're seeing, uh, particularly in regulated industry, exit plan and a need for an exit plan being a lot more important. Explain what you mean by that. Well, so if you look at the banking industry, for example, they're now being asked to report on what data they put in AWS, for example. Not only are they being asked to report on it, they're being asked to explain how they get it back should it all go wrong. So whereas previously you might have found more organizations more willing to say, you know what, we'll chance, we're pretty comfortable with it. We'll move our data into the public cloud. We'll go in that direction. There's a lot more rigor being put into those plans now by some of the regulators in FSI, for example. So again, that kind of, how do I move my data back? Should I change my mind? How do I get it back? How do I make sure that the cloud provider is deleting it in a timely manner? All of those sorts of elements. Yeah, and there's a cost aspect to that. That says, it's going to cost me money. Yeah. Okay, so Neil, and um, one thing that I think that conversation sort of leads on to, and that's certainly the idea of multi-cloud, because being dependent on one vendor or another becomes a challenge if you're really wholly dependent on, say, AWS, and they have an issue. You know, do you see customers thinking multi-cloud's really worthwhile? I think the idea to customers is um, very worthwhile. I mean, most organizations like to have, you know, dual vendor supplies in, you know, most of their operations, how they do things. So public cloud shouldn't be any different. And it's something we get asked a lot. So I mentioned already that, you know, we can connect out to all the different cloud vendors and we can connect to them all for different buckets. So, you know, one use case might go out to Azure, one might go out to AWS S3, one might tear out data to Google. So that's kind of nice, but I think what it's all about that sort of seamless move from one service to another. So we can do that operationally, but of course, if you've put data out into Amazon S3, for example, and now you want to move that data into Google instead, there's going to be that transfer cost to get it out of Amazon and then put it back into Google. And then, you know, hey, if you then want to move it from Google to Azure or you want to move it back to Amazon, there's that transfer cost again. So although, you know, we can make that technology work, does it make sense? And especially when you start to get to huge data sets, multi-petabytes, you know, shifting that amount of data takes time. You know, you, you can't, we haven't quite cracked the laws of physics yet. You know, we still, you know, speed of light still applies. So, you know, I've been looking at, you know, how long does it take to move 10 petabytes? How long does it take to move 100 petabytes? How long does it take to move an exabyte of data, which, you know, we are talking to customers at that data size. And it takes, I mean, exabyte, to move an exabyte, you know, worth of data over a 10 gigabit per second link, it would take, or you know, years, basically. So once, you know, you've got that kind of data somewhere, you know, it's there, you're not moving it. And I think with this type of you know workload you've got to think you know where am i going with this how big is it going to get because i could be locked in here so just the pure fact of although the technology can make it work doesn't mean that you should use it and i think it's just you know being careful about that i think it's planning as well isn't it Neil? yeah it's that planning phase right you need to make sure that you know where you're going to and you need to understand where the data is heading and that gives you the ability to then make the right choice hopefully Make the right choice, yeah. But then again, I mean, and you know, we all know that in IT, you can plan as much as you want, and then the business will drop something on you that's just absolutely out the blue, and you think, "Hmm, I really wish I'd done it the other way." <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> so yeah, but that's you know, that's the life we lead, right? But I think there's a lot of choice. That's one of the problems that people have is so much choice. 
offering similar, you know, on the face of it, similar solutions. And I think it's digging into the the technology, the actual requirement that you have, and, and then sort of trying to match those two together. And that's an art to itself. But I think that's the key thing. Okay, I think we've come to the conclusion pretty much that there's lots of options for this. Hybrid model definitely works. But it sounds to me like we're saying there's a lot of planning and a lot of forethought you need to do before you really commit yourself to putting your data in one place or another. So if people wanted to come and learn more about Cloudian, Neil, where can they do that? Yeah, cloudian.com uh, website. That's a good first place. Unfortunately, I don't, as you know, I don't do Twitter or anything else, so <laughs> I can't stop my Twitter handling. You're a social media laggard, aren't you, in that, in, in, that, yeah. in that area? Okay, all right, that's great. And Lee, from your perspective, if people want to talk to Nefos about how they could actually engage in helping them with this sort of thing, what should they do? where can they go? Yeah, so uh, nefostechnologies.com or Twitter at Nefos Tech, LinkedIn. Unlike Neil, we are on some social media, but probably not as much as we should be. Brilliant. Okay, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate the time and look forward to catching up with you soon. You've been listening to the Hybrid Cloud Podcast from Architecting IT. For show notes and more, subscribe at hybridcloudpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Architecting IT or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Architecting IT. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.